There's also like full-on burnout where you don't function anymore. I had that where you're basically clinically depressed. But there's another form, Sean, that I call low-grade burnout. And that, I, I define it as this. The joy of life is gone, but the functions of life continue. So you're going to work, you're showing up, but like you used to love YouTube. Now you're just like, oh, another day, another video, another day, another TikTok, another day, another whatever. And your, your heart is dead. Welcome to the Think Media Podcast. My name is Heather Torres, the host of this show. And on this podcast, we help you grow your YouTube influence and then turn that YouTube influence into a high impact and a high income online business. We're teaching all the tips and tools of how to make this possible. And I wanna welcome all of the new listeners to the podcast. Thank you for being here today. This is going to be a power-packed episode for you, and I cannot wait to get into it. And I wanna encourage you to subscribe wherever Ever you're consuming this content. We are putting this podcast out to all of the major podcasting platforms as well as YouTube. So if you've not been over to our Think Media podcast channel, make sure to head over there and subscribe because we have other episodes that drop exclusively on the YouTube channel. Now we are in a two-part series with one of our mentors and really the kickoff for the theme of our year here at Think Media. We have none other than Carrie Newhoff on our podcast. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that this year we have marked it with at your best. And Sean actually went through uh, two different sessions already. We have other sessions coming in the future this year for you of how we are helping our team be at their best. And so we wanted to bring none other than the author of this book, to the podcast to interview him on going deeper into his body of work and just some advice for you as a content creator. Now, today's episode is all about burnout and Carrie is no stranger to burnout. He actually wrote a whole book on that and we wanted to talk about it because it is something that is very prevalent in the creator community. And so today we're gonna be talking about how you can actually go from the stress spiral into the thrive cycle and his tips for content creators who are starting to feel like they're on the edge of burnout. All of that and more in today's episode. So let's jump into today's featured content. Are you feeling burnt out? How do you beat stress and ultimately create your best content on YouTube and on social media? Well, in this conversation, I'm so excited because we're really going to be talking about how to overcome burnout, get into your green zone, get out of the stress cycle and into your thrive cycle, and ultimately talking with Carrie Newoff. Now, if you haven't met Carrie before, he's an incredible individual. He's a best-selling author, speaker, former attorney, and he's one of today's most influential video podcasters. His YouTube channel, podcast, and blog are accessed by more than 1.5 million times each month. And he's a family man, a faith-driven entrepreneur and leader, and also I'm honored to call him a friend. And so, Carrie, thanks so much for coming on the Think Media podcast. Sean, this is a thrill. It's just so good to hang out with you over here. Thanks for having me. You as well. And today we're going to be talking about some concepts from your book at your best. Now Look at that yours is more earmarked than mine is. That's it's very mine's earmarked up. I wow. mean, if I you're on the video book. version of the podcast, you could see that we have been Should devouring. I've been devouring this book. In fact, Think Media, our team has themed our year at our best. And so we're, I'm excited to dive into this conversation 
But uh, ultimately, let's just get straight into it and we'll get to your story in a little bit. But this idea of burnout, I mean, there's been a lot of articles actually, surprisingly about YouTubers. TikTokers are burning out, social media influencers are burning out. And there was a whole st string of articles about YouTubers are burning out. These are people making a ton of money, but they're in a cycle of all this high pressure, all this, you know, pressures of life, pressures of fame, pressures of maybe being a small town kid. And all of a sudden you have notoriety and how do you handle that? But ultimately from your studies and your experience talking with leaders, speaking publicly, coaching organizations, how prevalent is burnout for creators, leaders, and ultimately knowledge workers, which is what the listeners of the Think Media podcast are. Yeah, very prevalent, actually. And, you know, I wish I had this phrase when I wrote the book, which just came out, of course, but you'll learn this over time. But um, the phrase that I heard recently, I think it goes back to Albert Tate, is people are overexposed and underdeveloped. And I'm like, that that is the money right there. Like we're overexposed, we're everywhere. So all of a sudden, you know, you're 18 years old, you have 5 million followers or whatever. I'm really glad that being well-known in the space that I'm known in didn't happen to me when I was 32 because I think I would have collapsed. And I burned out at 40, we'll talk about that later. But here's the powerful thing. Um, I think about, if you look at the stats, Gallup, et cetera, 70% of people in the knowledge space would say that they're burned out or they feel burned out. There was a poll done in the middle of 2021 by Deloitte that said something like 83% of knowledge workers come home exhausted with nothing left in the tank every day. And uh, this is a problem before the pandemic. It's even worse now. So uh, there's also like full-on burnout where you don't function anymore. I had that where you're basically clinically depressed. But there's another form, Sean, that I call low-grade burnout. And that I, I define it as this, the joy of life is gone, but the functions of life continue. So you're going to work, you're showing up, but like you used to love YouTube. Now you're just like, oh, another day, another video, another day, another TikTok, another day, another whatever. And your, your heart is dead. Wow. And uh, man, I think listening to this, there's probably some of us right now that are like, I might be in low grade burnout. But you ultimately, you, you just mentioned it, you, you yourself experienced high grade burnout, right? Yeah. Tell a little bit about your story and what was happening at the time and what led to that. Anything worth doing is, is worth overdoing. So I really burned out. Um, so what happened to me, I started, I went to law school, then I went to seminary. I uh, started working at a church when I was 30, and it went through a massive growth curve, at least in our country, Canada. So we became one of the largest churches in our denomination in the country and the fastest growing church in our denomination. And that kind of growth, as anybody knows, is intoxicating in whatever field you're in. And it caused me to ignore a lot of fundamentals, uh, like how my heart was doing, how my marriage was doing. And, you know, my wife and I got into uh, some marriage turbulence in that season. But I thought as long as I was winning at work, everything was fine. And then um, people kept telling me in my late 30s, like, Carrie, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. And I didn't believe them because I thought burning out was for weak people. But I, I did one day and I did not declare a finish line. I didn't moderate my workflow and my body quit. And I went into what would be probably called a clinical depression for about four months where all the joy, all the passion was gone. And I took a month off or three weeks off and I thought, okay, this will make it better. It made it worse, Sean, made it worse. So that was my burnout and it was brutal. 
Wow. And uh, thank you for sharing that. And I'm, you know, I'm excited because the goal, right, is to figure out what are our steps to get out of that, whether it's low grade or whether it's high grade um, and ultimately beat stress and the stress that a lot of us feel. And I actually kind of wanted to read a part of, of your book before we get to the good part of of climbing out of all of this, the price of stress. And this impacted me so much because I think that for some of us and if we're type A and driven, we, we sometimes ignore these things. And so mm -hmm. I started reading this on page uh, eight of At Your Best, and it said the price of stress, and these are this is data, this is showing what it can lead to. Stress can lead to heart attacks, chronic pain, shortness of breath, full-on panic attacks. It's been linked to heartburn, acid reflex, bloating, nausea, indigestion, and a loss of sexual desire. Memory function, slowing your reaction time, uh, create creating behavioral and mood disorders. And then it even gets worse. So you go, when you really dig down, there's, you know, physical and mental health issues, chronic fatigue, obesity, depression, man, stress is really killing us. And there's a real cost to stress. I know for me, I, you kind of grow up and you just want to be strong no matter what, you know, you just want to press through no matter what. And so in your book, you talk about the stress spiral. And, and I think it's, the, it's when it's just, we're, we're in that loop and, and I go into that a little bit, break that down, you know, before we figure out how to get to the thrive cycle and climb out of things, how can we, well, what's really happening with the stress spiral and how do we get in it? So the stress spiral is if you can imagine like a tornado like thing, and it's just a, you're cycling down. And if the book, I, I really tried to deal with, cause I, I, you know, on the other side of burnout, Sean, I tried to think about how did I get here? Like what caused this and how do I make sure I never go back? Like as far as is humanly possible, how do I make sure I never go back? So I started to think about, well, what are the primary assets you deal with in leadership? And this is true for, well, any human, but especially knowledge workers, it's three things. It's time, energy, and priorities. Time, we all get 24 hours in a day. Energy, your energy level waxes and wanes over the course of the day. And priorities are the things that you're supposed to get done. I got to ship that video. I got to write this. I got to do whatever. And when you're in the stress spiral, your time is unfocused, your energy goes unleveraged, and your priorities get hijacked by everybody else. And what that leads in that downward spiral is to you feeling overwhelmed, overcommitted, and overworked. So how do you know whether you're in the stress spiral? Here are the questions. Do you feel overwhelmed? A lot of people would say yes, like 80, 90%. Do you feel overcommitted? Yes, I said yes way too often. And do you feel overworked? Yeah, and guess what? I work for myself, but I feel completely overworked. So that's the stress spiral. And so I, man, I'm sure a lot of us can relate to that. And if the problem is like it, it's compounding because a lot of times if we're in, if we're, if we're feeling overwhelmed, we're being even less productive. If we're feeling overworked, it, it uh, the to-do list stacks up even more. I know I can know the feeling of paralysis where sometimes when you see your to-do list and you're like, I'm actually going to do nothing instead of even trying to tackle this. Cause where would I ever start? And for yeah. the knowledge workers, and I think us as YouTube creators too, there's a million things to do. And this, of yep. course, is true for you as a writer. And so we can see all the different things. We've got the emotional pressures. And we may be dealing with um, limited energy for any number of reasons, family, work, and all kinds of different things. So, Carrie, let's, let's talk about really the promise of this podcast. What do we start doing to climb up out of this? And what I love about this book is actually when I got to the end of it, one of my favorite parts was the acknowledgements 
and seeing how long the story was this, you know, I think it was Mark Batterson that said, man, this needs to be a book, but that was seven years ago or something. Yeah. yeah you would find the idea amongst thousands of leaders in a course area. You got to test these theories and these practices and actually prove them out. So much personal development leadership books in, in the world are sometimes just kind of theories. They maybe worked or they worked. worked I had an idea. Then I wrote a book and here it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had an idea, tried it once and it worked for a while, but like these are some really proven practices. And, and you also have the credibility from being in a clinical depression level of burnout and working your way up out of that. So maybe uh, lead us in a little bit of the story of what happened next what you learned and how that led to the discovery of the thrive cycle. And obviously we can't get into all the details of it, but what are some yeah. of the pieces of the thrive cycle that we could start overcoming overwhelm overwork and, and starting to thrive again? Yeah, there's hope. So it started because as I hinted, I was determined to never put myself in that position again. It's so painful. And some, some of the people watching, some of the people listening, they burned out. Like, and if you've been there, you know how miserable it is and you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. So I'm like, I don't ever want to do this again to myself, to other people, to the people I lead, the people I serve. So I, over a period of three to five years, I tried to get back to normal. So I got like six months after the lights went out and I burned out, I started to feel flickers of hope again. And I had a lot of muscle memory. I'd, I'd been in leadership for a decade. So I didn't take a sabbatical. I just went back to work. And uh, eventually the joy started to come back, but I felt like I was like at 70%, 60%, 80%. And eventually by year four or five, I was at 90% capacity. But all the while I'm reading books, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm hiring coaches, I'm hiring consultants, I'm, I'm going to counseling, and I'm trying to create a system, a worldview where this wouldn't happen again. And I got to some success. I would say by year four or five, I'm like, okay, I'm at a new normal. I'm at 100%. And let's see if this thing holds. Well, that was 16 years ago that I started this. And so I just thought, hey, like I found a system that works for me. And then within like five years of my burnout, the number one question I started to get, Sean, was people coming up to me when they had me one-on-one -on -one and going, hey, I, I know you don't talk about this, but how do you get it all done? Like you've, you've, you're working full-time at a church. I was a pastor at the time. Your family's in good shape. We, we repaired it. Um, you are leading at a national level. You're speaking around the world. You're writing books. You've got a podcast. Like, how do you get it all done? And I'm like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. I didn't have a good answer. And then I thought, I'm going to write it down. And the first time I wrote it down, Mark Batterson invited me to speak to his staff. So I went down and I put the principles down in their first form. And he pulled me aside. I wasn't even at my seat. And he goes, this needs to be a book. Well, I didn't write the book, but I did a course. We ran 3,000 leaders through the course and gathered data from them. And then I taught it to thousands of leaders around the world. And now we're 20, almost 30,000 copies into the book. And so we now have data points and stories, anecdotes from tens of thousands of leaders. And the good news is this stuff appears to work for everyone and they see almost instant results. So if the stress spiral is overwhelmed, overcommitted, overworked, and the problem is unfocused time, unleveraged energy, and hijacked priorities, the Thrive Cycle is not a tornado. It is a repeatable pattern. And it starts by focusing your time, leveraging your energy, realizing your priorities by doing what you're best at when you're at your best. And the code underneath the Thrive Cycle, and this is where it started for me, is 
I knew I had to learn how to live in a live in a way today that would help me thrive tomorrow. Because for a decade, I lived in a way that would help me, you know, get exhausted for tomorrow, um, barely survive into tomorrow, and I was living at an unsustainable pace. And so I started to use that mantra and shared it with other leaders. I'm I'm going to live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow. And when you leverage your time, energy, and priorities in that way, things start to change. And we can unpack that at whatever level you want, Sean. Yeah, and I love leverage is one of my favorite words. You know, I think for any entrepreneur and leader, they want to understand the power of leverage. Uh, investors understand the pair, power of leverage totally. in real estate. You invest in a, a property, and if it's cash flowing, it's working for you when you're not working. And so creating leverage in your time and your priorities is so powerful. And and I have a couple, yeah, we'll, we'll go through a couple areas and I'll, I'll fire them off to you. And I want to actually kind of frame some context on this. Of course, these, these are, I, I'm the leader of a team on its way to about 25 team members now. Um, some are listening, they're full-time YouTube creators or entrepreneurs leveraging the power of YouTube. Some are in that side hustle season where they're trying to juggle YouTube and a job or whatever else. Some are just starting. Um, but I think one of probably the biggest questions for our community is, you know, as a side hustle person, because you teach about the red zone, the yellow zone, the green zone, and and we want to create the best YouTube content possible and try to break through the noise uh, with, for online influence. We're, we're going up against think media, like yeah. we're going up against a team of 25 people and 2 million subscribers in that momentum. But I am, I am David going up against Goliath. And not only that, I've got kids, I've got work, and I'm trying to do YouTube on the side. I'm trying to create content on the side. I'm trying to write my book on the side. So my green zone's going to a lot of other places potentially. Like Carrie, what are some principles that can work for me to actually also still, I can't suck at my job. Uh, and I actually need to show up in all these other areas of life. But, but I, I really feel like the person we could serve the best is the side hustle person or the person that's juggling multiple things and trying to get into that thrive cycle. And one of the first things that stood out in your book that I'd love for you to unpack is a lot of us, a lot of people in a lot of books talk about time management, but you talk about energy management. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I divide um, every day into three zones and I color code them just because it's easy to think about green, yellow, and red. So we all get 24 equal hours in the day, but those hours are not created equal. So most of us know instinctively, maybe you have some night owl creatives, morning people listening. I'm a morning person, not by nature, but by design. That design happened when I got married and became a dad many years ago. So it's like, all right, all of a sudden mornings are my prime zone. And if you think about it, we all know instinctively that you have times of the day where your energy is high, you're generally in a good mood for creativity. If you're you know, scripting out a video or thinking, okay, how are we gonna shoot this thing? Your brain's working, like it's creative. You, you've got stuff going. If you're writing a script, you're like, you're in flow. And that generally happens around the same time every day. That's your green zone. Now the shocker is for those of us who are driven and entrepreneurs, that's only about three to five hours a day. And I know we want to think we're robots. No, I got 12 hours. Research, again, I did a lot of research into this book too. No, all the experts say you have three to five peak hours of energy a day. And your body will tell you that because you've, you, if you try to write for 12 hours, if you're writing a book, good luck because your 4 p.m. is not nearly as good as your 7 a.m. So you got to think green is your prime time. 
red is that time where you're exhausted. It's like Red Bull. You got three brain cells left. You can barely stay awake for the meeting. You need a nap or a run or whatever. And for me, that's four to six every day. And then yellow zone is everything in between, which is actually great time. You can do meetings in it. I do a lot of my, I'm known for podcasting. I do a lot of my podcast interviews during my yellow zone, do my prep in my green zone, interviews in my yellow zone, divide your day into those three zones, green, yellow, red. And then here's the secret. This is the Archimedes lever. Do what you're best at when you're at your best. Take those things like it's script writing or it's shooting that video or it's, you know, team development, whatever that is. Do it in your green zone because what happens is if you don't do it in your green zone, if you don't do it when you're at your best, that's what you carry home. And that's a mistake I was making in my 20s and 30s is I'd kind of goof off, not aware I had a green zone. I'd go do breakfast meetings. I'll do other meetings. And then I got a sermon to write or I got a court case to prepare for or I've got a book chapter to turn in. And then what do you do? You open up your laptop at six o'clock and say, sorry, family, I'm done with you. I got to work tonight and you're not even producing your best work. So flip it, do your best work in your green zone and take it from there. So powerful. And one of the biggest killers of, I think, professionally, even intern inside of our organizations, but also potentially in the external requests from outside of our organizations is overcommitment. We, if every single time we say yes to somebody, we are ultimately saying no to one of our priorities, potentially. Even every yes is a no and every no is a yes. Uh -huh. um, and I know that I discovered recently that I'm actually opportunity led. And I also discovered that I'm a people pleaser and I want <laughs> to make people happy or I hate saying no. Um, and, and I probably lean more to the opportunity led side of I just fear of missing out on uh, you know, a request to do something. Absolutely. A request to do this. Absolutely. Not necessarily thinking it through. I think the pandemic was a great reset button because eventually I, my travel was so full. I was just saying yes to every opportunity because I might meet somebody and it might lead to something and it could lead to this. And we got to keep fighting. We got to keep pushing. But one of the superpowers for getting into the thrive cycle, getting out of the stress spiral and really being at our best is learning how to say no and mm -hmm. getting over the fear of other people's opinions. Can you unpack that a little bit with any tips? So full disclosure, it's still hard. I say no 90% of the time. And you know, you eventually, you must have this, Sean, like you've got a big social media footprint. And I mean, YouTube sends you plaques, right? So I mean, at that point, you're, you're a person of influence. And we, I asked my team recently, I said, how many times do we get pitched a day? Because we're 21 million downloads and counting on my podcast. And they're like 10 to 15. I, I don't even hear most of those, 10 to 15 a day. Very few come to me. But then I get hit up with friends who are like texting me and who have my email. And they're like, hey, can you? Hey, can you? Because when you become an influencer, so to speak, right? Everybody wants you to lend your influence to them. So there's there's two problems. Number one, if you're in the position you're in or I'm in, you get hit up all the time. If you're starting out for the side hustle people, you think everything, you should do absolutely everything you can because you got to get your name out there. I would say you should default to yes if you're just starting out as long as it doesn't compromise your health or compromise your time 
or whatever. So, I mean, if you're sitting there going, I got nothing to do. And someone says, Hey, will you come on this, you know, Instagram live with me? Or will you do this joint venture with me? Or will you speak at this event? You should probably say yes. But before you know it, your calendar is going to fill up and then you need to develop a filter. So we have a filter that we use in my company and in my life, and it's constantly being refined and it will get narrower. Well, the filter will get stronger and stronger as time goes on and as your platform grows. But I did start out by saying yes to everything. And then it became a problem because there were too many things and you had to say no. So, you know, I have a filter for is I'm, I'm a leadership quote expert. That's what I do. Is it a leadership event? If it's not a leadership event, it's almost always a no. Um, and then we look at, well, who's going to be in the room? Because I would rather talk to 150 influencers than 1,500 general leaders. I think there's greater impact there. Then there's part of, am I passionate about the event? Is this really something I can speak to? Or are people just asking me to talk into the ether? Because like I've got some areas of expertise. And if it's not in my area of expertise, I'm probably not the best person to do your event. And then you've got the opportunity cost, right? Uh, Sean, you talked about opportunity, you follow opportunity, but there's also an opportunity cost. Before the pandemic, I was flying over 100,000 miles a year. You know, all of a sudden the borders close, planes stop flying, everything gets a big reset. Because I'm Canadian, most of my work's in America, uh, the border was closed effectively for 18 months. So we did a big reset. We think I'm probably going to fly half of that in the future. And the reason is opportunity cost, because when I'm on a plane traveling to your event and you're paying me, even if you're paying me well for doing the event, I am not developing my next online course. I'm not leading my team. In other words, I can make X dollars by speaking at this event, but I could make perhaps more or make a bigger impact or be a better leader by being here and actually building into my team. So you got to think about all those things. And then you got to figure out how to say no. And because I'm Canadian, you got to figure out how to do it nicely. And so we can talk about that. How do you say no nicely? But those are some thoughts about saying no. Yeah, I love that. And I want to recommend people, um, of course, to definitely pick up a copy of the book and we'll have a link in the show notes and in the YouTube description. Um, you know, I really recommend getting a physical copy and I encouraged Shayla and Jordan on our team to print out, to blow up and print out your scripts for saying no. Um, <laughs> they're not just powerful, but they're also kind because that's our thing. It's like, how do you how do you also kindly tee up and communicate a no? But also you want to steward the relationship. You don't want to close a door because it might just be no for now, right? It might yeah. just be. So anyways, there's some, there's some scripts in the book. I highly recommend you take advantage of those because no will be a superpower. But I actually want to move into uh, another area and that's the idea of killing distractions um, and the idea of also optimizing your environment. You know, um, I'm, lear I'm learning from your book and seeing in general with great works out there like deep work and, and then just all the studies of how much we're distracted. You're talking about we're, we're on our phones or we touch our phones 2,500 plus times a day. If where you have a real problem, it's over 5,000. I think I have a real problem. I have a real you problem. Know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course we use our phones for work, but it's also easy to go to them for the scroll. But not only that, we got notifications on our smartwatches. We got people just calling us out of the blue. We got text messages out of the blue. And one of the most shocking stats that is revealed in your book is that once we're interrupted, it takes us as much as 25 minutes to get refocused. Now, Carrie, wow. this really troubled me because it made me troubling. think that, 
if someone on my team got interrupted, right, you know, six, uh, eight times a day or 16 times a day, which is likely, and it took a half hour to get focused again, well, then all eight hours were never focused because mm-hmm. it's another half hour. to well, You want me to make your problem worse? Multiply that by 25, Sean. Thank you. You want to see a whole bunch of money go down the toilet? That's how to see it. (laughs) (laughs) And so distractions and and, and even more so. So whether that's inside of an organization or whether that's, of course, for individuals who are also saying, okay, I want to build my side hustle. And they got very limited hours. They got five, 10, 15 hours a week to build up that side hustle because they maybe want to quit their nine to five, you know, go into something else. Well, if you give any time at all to distractions, then you are actually, you're kind of killing your chance of being at your best and doing really productive work. And so touch on that a little bit on the distractions piece, and then we can maybe talk about some remedies or both at the same time. I read that stat, it blew me away, 25 minutes. And let me nuance it a little bit because Cal Newport makes the helpful distinction between shallow work and deep work. So I don't do email for a living, but email would be like shallow work for me. It's like, no, 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 no. And interruption's not as big. But when you're writing a book, when you're creating a masterclass, when you're filming the video that you know is going to make a big difference, what you're involved in at that point is deep work because you're creating something out of nothing. There was no book. There were no ideas. You got to go deep. When that happens, you're tapping away on your keyboard. You know, your phone buzzes, the doorbell rings, whatever it is, someone knocks on your door. And you kind of lose focus. You're like, yeah, what do you want? Or I got to go check this out. Or what do you mean? You got some news notification or whatever. And when you come back, you're like, now, where was I? That's what it's talking about. And sometimes, you know, this is a creative. You don't get those ideas back. Like they don't come back to you. You're like, they're just gone. And you're like, oh, and you're in the shower the next morning trying to think about it. You're on a walk trying to think about it. You don't get those ideas back. Or if you do, You're like, okay, I think I'm over here. That's why, I mean, no brainer, all notifications off. Your phone's on do not disturb. And so many people, I've had mine on do not disturb for years. Thank goodness iOS 15 introduced focus mode. So if you're like, well, I don't want to cut out my assistant. I don't want to cut out my kids. Great, program them into ring through and train them not to call you during your green zone. Like do not, like this is a nuclear emergency if you're reaching me during my green zone because then you'll get deep work done and near AL and Cal Newport and other you know, thought leaders like that would say, focus is the superpower in this age of distraction. And I agree, your ability to do deep, deep work and to think beyond where most people think, that's where you're gonna get your progress. So notifications off. The other thing about environment, like you're in the basement of my house, that's what you're watching right now. And so I built this out maybe five or six years ago. And I thought very, I'm very impacted by environment. So I'm like, okay, if this is where I'm working, I've got a barn door. It, you know, shuts out the stairs and everything beyond that. I can put my headphones in and just like, I hear nothing. And then in the summer, I I have like four offices because I've got a backyard. I can sit by the fire pit. I can sit in the pavilion. I can sit on the back deck. I can sit on the front porch in the morning. And I just sit there with my laptop and I love getting stuff done. We live in the country, so it's a quiet environment. But you probably have that ideal environment. And if you're in a cubicle, right, a lot of you probably aren't, you have your noise canceling headphones and get the big ones because noise canceling headphones are also people canceling headphones because it takes an awful lot to interrupt somebody when they've got the big cans on and they're, you know, kind of look like they're focused. So that's what you can do. And I've had to write chapters of books on airplanes and airports at hotels and lobbies, you know, 
at the beach, et cetera. You can do that, but ideally you want an optimal environment. And thank goodness this is 2022 because a lot of people didn't have home offices prior to the pandemic and then everybody upgraded. So hopefully you've got some little cubicle carved out somewhere where you can get some work done. Yeah, this is one of my favorite tips and I think such an opportunity for our community. Um, focus is a superpower in this age of distraction. 100%. Friends, we got to get out of burnout and we want to get into the thrive cycle and, you know, definitely tap, tapping into some tips in the book. But I love the content about optimal environment. And it reminds me, Carrie, of when I was working actually at a church with some of the Think Media team members. I was the director of communications. Um, at one point, Sonia was my assistant, my wife. Um, I had an office and it kind of had a, a mini desk where she would sit. It had my desk. Um, and then down the hall was kind of the, we had a TV show and there'd be the editors and we had Mario and Kyle and then eventually Omar, uh, and they would be working at other places. And one of the things Sonia observed, cause I have a big heart and kind of an open door, uh, mentality was she would notice I'd be trying to work away, write a script or something. And then boom, Mario would show up and be like, Hey, can you come look at this? And then I'd be like, actually I can't, but even him showing up and, and then somebody, show, Kyle would show up and he'd be like, Hey, can you. And, and then throughout the day, and Sonia, she's kind of got this Viking wired personality. She was just like, why are you just bursting into the door? What's going on? And I'm kind of unaware. And in that season, I actually learned that if you're actually in managed coaching leadership mode, you just want to be fully in that mode. Go look at the things, you know, be there to coach, be there to mentor. But if you need to actually write some scripts or build some stuff out, I was helping my pastor at the time who I was working for write books and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I learned this lesson that those interruptions. So I would start to close my door. I'd sometimes put up a sign. And I remember too, even other people in the, the office were like, what's, what's he, what's he got that sign up? Who's he think he is? Uh, he thinks he's focused. He thinks he's going to get some things done is who he thinks he is. And, uh, and I really learned that. And I started to learn about my, myself, about the importance of optimal environments. And I love to like, even when the door is open at my home office, even if the house is quiet, I feel the door open. Even if I don't see mm -hmm. it, I can actually feel that the door is open, kind of feeling the nose around uh, the noise around me. You mentioned even in your book that maybe it's like a buzzing sound could even sort of take you out of the zone. It's funny. My wife loves having a noise machine on or a fan on oh, or, yeah. or, or even she'll leave the washing and washer and dryer room door open. And I'll be like, Hey babe, can you close? She actually kind of likes that. Here's the key. Neither of us are right or wrong. You got to be self-aware. What is your optimal environment? Dude, right outside there is the door to what we call our furnace room where the furnace and AC are. And like, if that door is ajar and people will leave it ajar, I'm like, I got to get up. I got to close it. I can't deal with it. Got to close it. I got to yeah. And, and some others aren't necessarily thinking about that, but I want to encourage the Think Media Podcast community, man, optimize your environment. And, and Carrie, I, I mean, I think this is a good use of money. I know resources can be scarce depending on where we are, but you invested in that office. What in a, you got pillows. If you're on the video podcast, you got chairs, got lighting, it's a whole mood, but man, when you're a knowledge worker, your environment matters. You know, I think media, I am obsessed with battle stations. I'm like, listen, you need two monitors. You need a standing desk. You need, uh, you need to be able to close the door. You need a good mic. You need good lighting. You need to be able to focus. You need like, you got to get your battle station built. And we actually sent out gear to our team because it just matters so much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and speak a little bit about that though. Just landing the plane as far as uh, optimal environment. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Design has become a much bigger thing in the last 15 years. And good design teaches you what to do. So last summer, uh, we were thinking about building a house and then the real estate market went crazy and we we're like, I'm not playing that game. So we renovated my backyard. And uh, one day I'll give you a video tour or an in-person tour of it. But we built like a new fire pit that's sort of out in the middle of the backyard. Then we put up a pavilion that seats 10. It's nice and big. There's a hot tub and then there's a dining area. And then there's like a, a lounge area on the back porch. And it's really interesting because as we've hosted people, over the last six months since that space has been open. And we designed it for the winter too. There's heaters and all that stuff. You don't have to tell anybody what to do. My wife and I, when we were designing it, we're like, oh, I hope this is gonna work and we can do 30 people here. People just walk into the backyard, they instinctively know where to go and what to do, and they just make themselves comfortable. You're not like, well, two of you sit over there and two of you, that's what space does. When I come into this space, I got a TV in the back and I put that in a few years ago because I thought, oh, it can be a second family room. This is my workspace, man. This is what I do. This is, I never use this for recreation. And, um, and it, it tells me like it's my cue. It's my signal that when I come in here, have my devotions in the morning, I'm a Christian. Um, but then this is work mode. And in the backyard, it is sort of hybrid work and pleasure. But when I'm back there, I'm like, I'm in focus mode. I'm enjoying myself. I have the privilege of being back here write something, create something. And whatever that is for you, and everybody's a little bit different, um, find some space, design some space, paint a room, a color you really like, and then just make that your space. You will find that it then triggers you to get into productivity and well-designed space. Because otherwise, you're awkward. You're like a square peg in a round hole, that buzzing fluorescent light that, you know, the room smells bad, or you can always hear the microwave beep from the, and now remote work is a thing. So there are people who can work in coffee shops. I cannot, I am like watching everybody coming and going. What are they ordering? I'm too ADD. So I need silence. I need this. Well, that was part one of our series here with Carrie Newhoff. I'm excited to jump into next week's episode, but I wanna ask you this question. Are you at your best? I'll make sure to link the book down below in the description box or in the YouTube description. And I highly recommend picking up this book and listening to it on Audible, getting the Kindle version that's digital or getting the physical copy and actually taking some time this month to read this book. Carrie is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to understanding when you are in your thrive cycle, when you're in your green zone and when you're in your red zone. And he gives you a ton of exercise sizes of how to really figure out when you work best. So I want to encourage you to grab that book wherever books are sold, and I'll link it down below in the description box as well. Now, every single week, we love to read one of the reviews from the podcast. And thank you so much to everyone who's taken the time to rate and review the podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Today comes from Ellie Lee Designs saying, fantastic, just upped my daily commute game. That makes me so excited that you listen to us on on your commute. Love the new YouTube features. You can't ignore podcasts. This was extremely helpful and so easy to take in. I thought listening on YouTube was great, but this just upped my daily commute game. Thank you. Ellie, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thanks for letting me know when you love to listen to the podcast, which is on your commute, which makes me excited to know that we're a part of your daily life. 
thank you for all those who have rated and reviewed. And I want to encourage you to take a moment after you're done listening to this one and let us know what you think about the podcast. Next week, we're jumping into part two with Carrie Newhoff. We're going to be talking all about the secrets of uh, being a highly productive content creator and the difference between doing deep work and shallow work. Oh no, I can't wait for next week's episode. So join us here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week. Bye.